Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the Time, Time Bandits, Bandits Minute. Minute. Time Bandits Minute is a podcast in which Duncan Shields and Curtis Blaze analyze and scrutinize the 1981 Terry Gilliam movie, Time Bandits. One minute at a time. Boy, Curtis is excited. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Drop so, it So, Curtis and I were sitting here just chatting for a second, and we were talking about Terry Gilliam, about maybe getting him, if you guys were going to try to reach out. And Curtis said, yeah, but, you know, he's kind of a recluse. I decided to go to his IMDb page, and at the very top of the credits of things that are, you know, it's in chronological order, under not yet released but new is the project uh, project for a Time Bandits TV series. Yeah, yeah, I read about that. Yeah, that's super cool. I don't know how far it's gotten so, or what the what the deal is, but... Do you know who the quote director is, at least attached to it right now? I don't is? think so. Taika Watiti. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. How I did? I screwed did. Screwed up is that? That's... We just talked about the possibility <laughs> that if you're going to pick a, a director that can make that transition from quirky creative and still be part of a big budget movie. Yeah, when and you, he's the guy that's been tasked to when do you, apparently yeah, when you a brought TV up his, show. Uh, his name there, I was like, you know, he's kind of like the modern day Terry Gilliam in a way. So there you go. <laughs> and there we okay. are. And there we are. So now that my work here is done. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I hope it like, I, uh, comes out while we're doing this or something. That would be dope. Well, we kind of did the math. It was in it, the, the clip that we saw, which contained, by the way, a picture Young Kevin Lotterby, mm-hmm. um, came out probably around the same time as uh, Jojo Rabbit, which was 2019. Right. So it's very possible it got 2020'd. I imagine. Right. Got delayed. Right. Not not killed, but but pushed. It's still showing. It doesn't have a date. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know if it had a date before that, like, oh, it's going to be in 2020, and then 2020 happened. It might be like, one of those uh, kind of niche passion projects, because I think that the, uh, the, I think the people that love Time Bandits love Time Bandits, but I think it's kind of like, it kind of goes into a Tron sequel territory, where it's like, how many dollars and hands do we want to put towards this? You know, like, how much money are we going to get back out of this so it like i think there's stuff that like under a under a normal production schedule you can throw a bone to a cause celeb like uh taika watiti and say hey hey you want to do a little passion side project oh yeah boy do i but then it's like ooh, the times are tight so i've got a perfect test to do right now sitting with me is a woman who doesn't care about either of these things so i'm just going to ask her carla what seems like a bigger deal to you tron or time bandits okay <laughs> that's, that's what I thought. Oh yeah, 100%. But I'm saying even if Tron is a bigger deal than Time Bandits, it's still not that big of a deal. Right? Like Tomorrowland Tanking took out the sequel to Tron cuz then it was like if it was all gravy right now, yeah, sure. Let's do a Tron 3. But as uh as soon as there's rough road, then uh all those sort of iffy ones get thrown out the window. So hopefully that hasn't happened. You know what though? There's a there's a Saturday show that I do. I'm a co-host on where we talk about basically movies and culture and nostalgia. And I commented that I'm worried that we're going to watch the death of cinema. When you look at all of the small screen, and I say small, most of us have like large flat screens for home. That's a factor. But think about everything Disney's doing right now this year for the small screen. Think of the the whole HBO Max and Warner Brothers oh, yeah. saying they're going to release everything quote theater and hbo max at the same yeah. time wouldn't it be 
a different model if you're looking at if you're going to boot something like a Tron or a Time Bandits or a Buck Rogers or anything that's kind of nostalgic that we all just have a fondness for. Don't you think it would make it better on the small screen? Oh yeah, that was that was kind of that was part of my feeling on the the Disney, um, you know, that <laughs> that the frankly unbelievable press conference they had at the beginning of January there when they're like, "Oh, do you like Marvel? We're going to put out twenty entire shows." Hey, do you like Star Wars? We're going to put out twenty entire shows. <laughs> like it was like, <laughs> stop, stop, stop! I can't, I can't, I can't. What are you doing? And uh, and I was like, and <laughs> and Tron. And and Tron, no, and Tron, and Tron, no, no Tron yet. (laughs) So I was, I'm right there with you. They haven't listened to your whole show yet. You got to just get it to the right person. (laughs) I think that they, I mean, Uprising was really good. Well, I mean, I don't know. This is gonna easily turn into the Tron, uh, the Tron minute here. But I I watched Uprising. I watched all these, uh, even even the 1982 version. They all had a central flaw within them, and that is that they tried to straddle the target audience of little kids and adults. So it's like let's do something about computers that is allegorical to today's society, uh, but not too complicated, and uh, nobody actually dies dies, and you know. So it's like. Keep the stakes low. Keep it light and fluffy. Also, kind of deal with really complicated issues. Like that's they they, they never brought the uh, they never brought the the internet into it. You know, there's a bunch of stuff that's germane to computers that they just turned into like a, a you know a ride at Disney, and that's that's that was a problem in 1982. That was a problem with Uprising. It was a problem with Legacy. So I hope that somebody gets in there. I was I really thought with Legacy we were going to get that gritty real life reboot it was going to update it for today but it turns out oh no he's just in a computer but it was no which is fine by me i don't want any real world i want maybe two minutes of the real world i want just grid 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 (laughs) computer 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 the whole gosh darn time it's got to be a metaphor for real life not literal real life i think the plot for tron 3 was Cora finding out what it means to be human in this world. So, like, I imagine feeling rain for the first time or tasting ice cream for the first time or whatever, and I was just like, hard pass. No thank you. I've already seen the Smurfs do that. Right? I just want to, I just, I want, (laughs) I want all grid all the time. That's all, that's all I want, you know? And it can be wild, it can be crazy, it can be allegorical or not. Like, I'm I'm Wreck-It Ralph 2, I think, kind of, was the Tron sequel that I wanted to yeah. see. You know, I kind of, I really enjoyed Wreck-It Ralph too, And I was like, ah, oh, dang it. If this had, you know, Sam Flynn in it or Beck or whatever, I'd be like, this is the Tron movie that I wanted to see, you know, but whatever. Cause I just, I think if, if, yeah. if, if clue gets the launch codes and if clue gets our bank accounts, that's way more of a threat than him somehow invading the real world out of a basement in a deserted arcade. Like I don't, I don't know, but yeah, we'll see what happens. I don't. I think they're still kicking the ball around. Hopefully, fingers crossed, another iteration of the Tron property will come out at some point. Disney needs content. Well, one thing you, yeah, one thing, one thing you did when we did the uh, Tron minutes together, and then kind of followed up, and you encouraged me to go rewatch Legacy. Mm-hmm. If for some reason I don't know, maybe it was because of you, it was better when I went back. I was like, okay, it's not horrible. No, it's a, it's a. It's a it's a rock solid two and a half out of three. Like it, that the, the, you've got you know the music and the look; those are two things that oh, they could this... easily have uh, you know pooped the bed on. But they they brought they yeah. came so you correct. and I talked about that the 
the the the uh, Daft Punk soundtrack yeah. I listen to all the Killer, time. Right? It's Killer. it's one of the most amazing scores. Thanks. It's fantastic. Character design. Tron Legacy. Beautiful. For sure benefits from anybody listening to Tronologically speaking. Yes, definitely. Go listen to it. It's a uh, it will boost your and also uh do the the Tron Legacy minute from my co-host uh, Courtney Colson. That's another one. And then together we just finished recording the Tron Uprising uh discussion about an episode per episode. And then uh excellent. So we're fully fully covered. I just want to say this this minute that we're working on Time Bandit right now, minute number six yes. is just about Kevin eating something and then going to bed. Yes. I don't think he's per- actually eating. I don't think no. anybody's got any food in their place. This is Even the mom, when she tries to pantomime, you'll see she, her fork's not touching anything. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> God. You're so right. Uh, oh, that is crazy. I love it. I really enjoy this minute. You can cut out all that Tron stuff if you want. <laughs> it was like 15 minutes off the top of the show, but uh you don't know this by making every episode just 15 minutes. Oh, so. excellent. Okay, <laughs> makes sense. Hi, this is Duncan <laughs> Time Bandits. But Good. it's the Great. outtakes that last 45. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so we come up, yeah, so in this minute we got what Kevin is super duper eager to go to bed again. Right? <laughs> Can I go to bed? I don't want to go to bed. Oh, wait. Okay. I got to ask you this. As a parent, okay, this is the one time where I'm like, this is not reality. I get the moms and dads that want to put their kids to bed. I get them that they want to be quiet, get out of the room so we can watch TV. It makes no sense to me when you've got parents that are being painted as stay out of my way, stay quiet. Oh, but don't go to bed yet. You just ate. You need to let your food go down. Oh, no. That's my... That's my favorite part. I love this little bit of comedy here. When uh, it's this, this, I love this little piece of dialogue. It's like you're going to bed in good time tonight, you know, as a punishment. And Kevin's like, "Well, I was thinking of going to bed now, actually." And their bluff has been called. So you get this really good, you know, British comedy bit where the mom's like, "Now, certainly not." And the dad says, "You must wait for your food to go down." And Kevin says, well, I haven't eaten any food. And the mom says, well, you must eat your food. And then the dad says, and wait for it to go down. Like, that's such a beautiful, you know, one, two, uh, you know, little little bit. And I, and I just, like, that's what, it's like in, the, what's the Pink Floyd, uh, the wall, when they're like, you can't have your pudding if you haven't finished your meat. Like, this whole... Yeah. There's there are steps. It's it's so British. This like <laughs> this is the eleventh course of the twelve courses. How dare you bring up landscaping? That's not until dessert. <laughs> you know, like it's very, you know, these are the rules and uh, and it's like don't go. You know, all I keep hearing, I keep hearing uh, C three PO when she when he's like, I I, I just that wouldn't be proper. Exactly. It's like proper. Exactly. <laughs> proper <laughs> it's totally totally along those lines for sure like that there's and I, I just i really i really enjoy it how he's how he's eager to partake in the so-called punishment that they're trying to lay out like they're trying to send him to bed early and he's like how about now <laughs> like it's so good that was really good well that kind of that kind of thing throughout the movie is is something that just really adds to it it's 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 that monty python flavor Going all the way through it. You guys are calling it British humor, and it probably is, but it's specifically Monty Python, the way the timing works and, and the way they're doing their voice. It's not Eric Idle pretending to have a shrill woman's voice, but it's pretty close. It's up there. I think it's I think there's a lot to be said for the the like 
Monty Python came out of British comedy. And so I think it's it, it at some point it becomes synonymous. You know, like, yeah, Michael Palin co-wrote the script, but this is a very, to me, a very quintessential, uh, you know, basic comedy routine. It could be, you could, you could even say it was Abbott and Costello. Like, I just like the, 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 the beats of it, you know, are, uh, yeah. you know, and the, and the way they're double teaming. I'm like, I don't know, like, like I grew up with a brother, but I imagine that the only children in our audience and, and if you guys are only children or know any only, only children that they might have this feeling of being outnumbered by their parents at home right like they've got no they've got no ally they've got no you know team member that's that's with them to sort of fight against the parents it's just the one kid so they've got these like the, the parents here are just doing this dueling banjos routine of like one, two, one, two, left ear, right ear, left ear, right ear, you know, eat this, wait for it to go down. Then, then it's bedtime. Like, I don't know. I just thought it was, uh, was awesome. What do you think? Well, funny, funny. You mentioned the, the single child. I'll come at it from the opposite side, which may explain a little bit more of the parent dynamic. My brother, two years down from me, the, the one who both of us, which I said at the beginning of the week, we convinced our dad to take us to see this in the theater. Yeah. He only has one kid, just one son. Right. They both decided that's it. It was too much of a pain having the one. We're not having another. <laughs> yeah. And now they complain all the time. It's like, oh, my God, he is always wanting to do something. I wish he would just go do something with someone else. I'm like, well, that's why you have siblings. Yeah, <laughs> you know? it's true. My, and my brother and my, my sister-in-law are sometimes find themselves saying, just go do something by yourself. We just want to be alone yeah. because all he knows is is mom and dad like that's, that's it. his whole world he doesn't have a brother or a sister to go play with yeah and i've heard that like if you have two kids they will play with each other and my experience has been like yeah well not quietly and like 75 percent of the time they're <laughs> fighting you know so i don't know if it's kind of you know every every uh every family oh, dynamic i'm not saying having multiple siblings is the answer <laughs> no to way. everything in fact it's just a whole different ball of problems have, have you know? more kids it'll um, be easier like, it's like the old Bill Cosby routine. You know, when you say you only have one kid, you say, well, you really can't be a true parent then because when something's broken in the house, you already know who did it. Yeah. That's not fun. <laughs> That's a good point. You know, when you have two or three and then you've got like a lamp broken, then you get to play the game of, okay, who's telling the most creative lie here? Who who actually did it? It's true. You know, it's true. That's, that's parenting right yeah. there. Oh, man, I, I got to tell you, we have an only child. I mean, we have two, two kids, but one of them's an adult. We have one kid who's a, a kid. In fact, Kevin's age. Yeah. Um. Well, a little bit older now, I guess. I, I think of him as a as a ten year old, but he's thirteen now. Mm -hmm. But we experienced the same thing where we were all he knew. We were the only people he knew, so he always came to us to do things with, and it was just never ending. It was constant mm -hmm. all the time. We really grew to love like having kids overnight. <laughs> sure. Don't you want to schedule another sleepover? It's <laughs> right? Tuesday. Yeah, I don't care. We're going to be the cool parents. I don't care. Let them take you to That's school great. in the morning. I really, uh, one thing I like <laughs> about Kevin's attitude here is he had a, I would say, a fairly terrifying thing happen to him the other night. You know, a horse literally exploded <laughs> out of his uh, room, nearly trampled him, <laughs> and then transported him to a forest. And he's like, either I'm hallucinating, like, mad, or uh, that actually happened. And, you know, I think it's 50-50. I think there's a lot of kids that would be like, so I'm never going back in my room again, thanks. You know, or they'd be like, I don't want to go to sleep. <laughs> Who knows what's going to come out of my 
closet tonight, but he's just like a little ghostbuster. He's like a little scientist. He's like, yeah, I want to go to bed. He's like, got his Polaroid. I, I want to go to bed he's right now. It. I want to go to bed right now. I don't know what's going to happen tonight, well, but I'm into it. Let's remember something, though. The difference is it wasn't a horse randomly showing up out of nowhere, which I know you say, well, wait a minute. It was, but it was on reflection. It was the horse and the forest he had pinned to his wall. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So it's not just some random boogeyman or creature that showed up out of nowhere. It's something that he had a fascination with enough that at one point in time he pinned it to his wall. So now he's probably thinking... What else that I've pinned to my wall might show up tonight? Oh, sure, right? Might he be thinking that he has some kind of power to make this stuff manifest? Or it pertains to him in some way. I don't think he thinks it's his power. I don't know if a kid would be that advanced. I think he's thinking the wall, like the stuff he pinned to the wall. I would. Yeah. Oh, I see where you're going with this. this yeah. yeah, so all the stuff he thought was cool, whether it's his drawings, stuff he's cut out, stuff that he copied somewhere and put on his wall... I mean, think about it. That's his favorite stuff right now. Yeah, right. So if one of the things that was dead center in the wall came to life, maybe something else will come to maybe life. So yeah. I'd be excited, be like, too. Is there an astronaut coming out next? A, a transformer? Uh, or like, <laughs> a or, cowboy? Look at all the stuff that know, he drew on his wall. Is Napoleon going to come visit me he's next? He's got a lot of options on those walls, you know? So he's Just imagine half, about all the people that might visit him in the next, I don't know, hour and a half. Yeah. <laughs> have we spotted dwarves anywhere? Not in the drawings that I've seen, no. So that's. I've started to think a lot more deeply about the the time bandits themselves. Oh yeah, like what do they actually represent? And I know we won't see them in the minutes that I'm here, yeah. but if we go with what I suggested yesterday, and I mean this is a good theory, it's as good as anybody else that may come along have a different theory. That if this is his way of dealing with the fact that his parents died in a fire, what are the time bandits? And if I go along that kind of mental gymnastics of okay where are we going to go with how do they how, how do we explain these guys i think every one of those guys represents a different area of shenanigans of just basically buffoonery just they're all parts of being a kid and getting into into mischief and getting into trouble and things not working out and that they're the mischief makers that kind of like cause us to do things that we ordinarily maybe not do but it's like those little voices in our heads that say well go on try it it might be fun i like that that there are, well, I was also thinking maybe aspects of Kevin himself, right? Which is sort of sort of close to that. But yeah, I see. What, I see. What Similar, you're saying. yeah. It's, it's the, like the, and it could very well be just the voices in his head or the various personalities. I don't know if you saw the movie Inside Out, yeah, Pixar, yeah, for sure. Where yeah. they, de- you know, they explain personalities by different so these you are know, his, individuals in your head. These are his. Uh, these are his Inside Out uh, head creatures. I these love are his that. Inside Out people. I love it. Yeah, I love it. I think that's fantastic. That's so good. I, I'm watching the movie with that in mind from now on yeah for sure for sure i just we'll love be keeping notes uh then you change the course you change the course of our show out <laughs> you really have you really have that's what i that's what i i love about uh the, you know having the guests on and having them bring a new perspective to it that you're like what yeah that all fits that's fantastic <laughs> yes then we get uh, that bit in the background here where one of the mom's kitchen machines starts uh, twitching and beeping and malfunctioning, rocking back and forth. It's the carvery. Oh, it's the carvery again. So I guess it's a meat slicer, but I didn't realize that before. I, I thought it was another. It is pink. Look behind her. There's a. She's got like a like a spinning thing. That's meat in there. As that thing spins, it has different kinds of meat, and the carver carves off these slices of meat for them. 
Yeah, well, and you can see you can see meat flying out of there if you if you yeah. look really close. Yeah, it's coming down underneath, like shavings of either beef or whatever hey, this is. But I know, it's, I know. Damn, you what? want to know what I think it is? I think it's spam. <laughs> spam. That is. Is it spam? Is spam. Spam and spam. Very pink meat. <laughs> very very pink processed meat in a tube, and uh, it's a Monty Python related but, production. So I'm pretty sure it's spam of some kind. I I, I don't. I wouldn't. I I love it. I love that it'd be spam just because it's part of the gag. But in all honesty, what meat do you put out at room temperature for hours, <laughs> and you just leave it sit there? Well, the, what? <laughs> this meat doesn't see the inside of a fridge. It just gets stored in this thing. I think the answer. Yeah, but it's not cooled. It doesn't look like there's coolant. Like, how do you keep it from? I don't know, rotting. It's very. It, yeah, I know. It just looks like it's open at the top. It's uh, poisonous. That's an extremely poisonous situation they've got going on there. Or maybe she just put it in there and cut it for dinner, <laughs> but uh, she hasn't put it back yet. I don't know. The shavings that are coming out of the bottom are very messy. They're coming out very irregularly shaped and uh, and kind of folded and squeegee and sticking to the side there. So I don't think it's working correctly. If you pause yeah. it right when the first slice is coming out, uh, Mr. Lotterby looks very hungry with his fork above his empty plate as he's looking at that meat. You know what it looks like, Duncan? Oh, yeah. It looks like there's a there's a slide and a piece has stuck yeah. on the slide. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost coming out but like I, it's uh like a sludge, you know, not like a, not like slices. I do think it's slices though. I think it's just No, no, yeah, it's it's, it's just slices that are watered up. It, yeah, they're crumpled or whatever, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. one of the things when we uh my wife loves getting what what they call shaved uh roast beef. Yeah. Like she likes to get it at the sandwich at the deli oh, yeah. and she doesn't want thick slices. She wants it so like you can nearly see through the meat yeah, yeah. and that's what it kind of reminds me it's of. Good stuff. I like how carvery. I love how they're all playing it so straight here too. Like it's not really broad comedy or fourth wall winks to the audience or whatever. It's just uh you know, your British middle class consumer household with all of its inherent faults. You know, I, you know, and that's the other thing, too, is I think, you know, Terry Gilliam really has this thing against technology actually messes everything up, you know, and like people are fuzzy, messy, fractal creatures. And the minute you try to impose order, it's a doomed pursuit because it will never happen just with the creatures that we are being what we are. So I sort of feel like. This is uh, uh, supposed to be another one of those scathing commentaries on the, the on the, the the banality of middle class life, you know, like that the these they've got all these machines, but none of them work, you know, like and uh, that kind of thing. But it doesn't really come across with that kind of intent to me. They just have, you know, I, I think it kind of does in a in a way. If you look at if you look at Terry Gilliam's body of work. He always has technology that is not working properly. Sure. It, it just runs throughout everything. Yeah. Because Time Bandits is one of the first movies he does it in, we don't notice it, you know, through the... We don't know that what's coming is Brazil. Sure. And, and all the movies that... You know, and 12 Monkeys and everything where technology just goes wrong all the time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But that's here as uh, intent, intensely as it is in all of his movies, I think. Okay, I thought because I thought it was. It's always. I think he, it's always something going wrong. She's telling him that something's going wrong, true, true. or something is literally going wrong. Yeah, or people are dying because they want to get a, a Moderna kitchen 
That's true <laughs> you know, too. There's people, yeah, there's people literally being executed on national television to try to win a, a modern kitchen. <laughs> so that's pretty dark. I think that's, that's a I think that's a pretty intense message yeah, about, about yeah. technology. Okay, you're right. You're right. I take it back. That's true. <laughs> but yeah, then I note that we uh, you still can't tell what date it is on the calendar. Damn it! No, unfortunately, that's but, the only reason no. I wanted to do the show. Honestly. Find a calendar somewhere. <laughs> There's uh, a wonderful YouTube channel. Uh, it's called Timelines, and it's a guy that watches. He uh, he watches like all the movies in a horror series, and then he watches like you know, so like all of the Friday the Thirteenth movies, or uh, all of the uh, all of the Freddy Krueger movies, or all of the different movies in whatever, like Children of the Corn. There's been like eighteen Children of the Corn movies. I didn't know that, but uh, he'll. It's a it, he's he's going through them all to find out if the continuity between them all is solid, and so he's looking. He's got an eye out for calendars in every scene. He's like, okay, this says 2017. This newspaper article has uh, you know 1985 at the top, and then in Children of the Corn three, it says 1987. So two years. It looks like this is real time has passed. Uh, it's a, it's wonderful. But ever since I've watched a few of those, I, every time I see a calendar in a movie now, I'm like, yoink, calendar. What does the calendar say? But yeah, you can't get a, a good proper look at it here. You can't even make out the text really, <laughs> which is too bad. But we do hear a laugh track. Did, let me ask you this, because the laugh track comes in before we cut to the TV. Yeah. Does it feel like that's an intentional move that they're laughing at the buffoonery of the mom and the machine not working yeah. as the bridge into them watching a television show where a woman can't decide what to say to save her husband? Uh, oh, yeah. 100%. I think that's that's a uh, that's an editorial choice for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, you're 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 having a laugh track at the absurdity of Kevin's family before you start uh, laughing at the. Uh... That way, that way you you get kind of a two for one with that laugh. You get you get a laugh track that tells everybody it's okay to laugh at what they just saw, and then you've also got a a, a transition to the next scene. Yeah. So it isn't just so it isn't just um you know a, a hard cut. Yeah. But we're we're cutting back now to another uh, another episode or a continuation of the last episode, I think, of your money or your life. The uh, fantastic. Is it? I don't remember him talking about who. What? I'm sorry. Did he say a name? I'm going back to look right now because I gotta know. Oh no! All he says is, "Let's bring our guests on." Don't they look lovely? Yeah. In now in the uh, yeah in the actual script, it is. Uh, Meryl and there's the whole pet name and the jumbo and all that kind of stuff. So that's all, that's all going on okay. before this. But in any case, maybe it's new contestants. But uh, but the the thing starting, it's cool in the script they mention because this uh, this is Jim Broadbent who's doing the 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 hosting here. He's doing an absolutely wonderful job. But in the script, it says it's calling for a uh, a Bruce Forsyth type of host. Uh, so they're they're looking for like a, a standard British. Uh, game show host and i was like bruce forsyth so i had to look him up because i'm passingly familiar with him um but he was a british tv presenter who who had a career of more than 70 years he lived from Mm. 1928 to 2017 and hosted like the generation game play your cards right the british version of the price is right you bet, and he did a, a show called Strictly Come Dancing from 2004 to 2013, which is kind of like Dancing with the Stars. But he's literally recognized by Guinness as having the longest television career of any male performer. Wow. So, hey, but 
Do you know who holds the record for longest TV career of any female performer? Betty White. Yes. It has to be Betty White. Correct. Yeah. 100% correct. So he's synonymous with TV game show hosting. So they really wanted somebody <laughs> to have that kind of style and pattern. The guy's got a, a a smile like a lion. He's just got this 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 you know neighborhood fence of teeth. He's got this giant giant jaw and this amazing smile and uh, very British. So it's not you can't really compete with that. With you know the broadband hasn't quite got that chin, but he's trying to do the same that same shtick. You know. He really does have the uh, ability to look creepy and scary, though, just with a smile. Oh, 100%. Yeah, he's got that. He's got Without that. Without any extra makeup. Yeah. Let's talk about this game a little bit. Your money or your life. Let's do it. First of all, yeah. I, I, I'd never seen anything like this before in my life in 1981. No. I didn't know about Japanese game shows. Right. Where literal bodily harm could happen or whatever. Right. Where you could drown in a in warm custard. <laughs> A giant custard container, by the way, that looks just like a small custard container. Yeah. Literally, you know it's custard because it literally says custard on the side. <laughs> this thing where you, where you punish, where you punish uh, stupidity rather than rewarding intelligence, that wasn't a British thing, was it, in the 80s? Not, uh, ab- I can't not find a- any games <laughs> like that. Not objectly, no. I think, uh. Well, I mean, not obviously killing someone, but, you know. For the sake of parody, it was done often. I think uh, Terry Gilliam was just, you know, dragging the standard cruelty of the British Empire out into the light and putting it under the disguise <laughs> of a game show, right? Like, yeah. oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull it back to a uh, the way I look at it based in the context of the of the framework of the story yeah. and the parents. Okay, cool. They're the ones who are talking about how the neighbor stuff failed. Well, they didn't buy the German version. They've got all these gadgets. This is just another example that they're into the whole consumerism keeping up with the joneses it's which do you prefer your money or your life well they're more interested in buying things rather than living man look at you with your insights you just keep bringing these fantastic truth bombs here you're totally right i can't see it any other way now that's exactly what's on the table for kevin's parents is your money or your life so instead of opting to live they've opted to just uh buy a bunch of kitchen gadgets or they think and this i think reinforces this this to me reinforces my idea because they would rather buy things and it's the things that failed and caused the electrical fire that burned their house down so they chose the money the the, the ostentatious lifestyle versus their lives that's good well there there's another layer to look at that too since we're since we're going there that's kevin's perception of his parents absolutely absolutely yes but is it his is it his real perception of his parents, or is it his dream making his parents worse people that they than they are, so that he could accept their death? I think it's it may be a hair of both. Yeah. I think his parents probably were the whole keep up with the Joneses. That was huge in the eighties. Let's face it, materialism in the eighties yeah. was ridiculous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, not that it's ever gone away, but I mean, being a child of the eighties, watching oh, yeah. that happen all around me. Um, I think there may be a. I think there's a. There's a little bit of truth in all of this. I don't know that his parents are horrible people. Yeah. I think they were just normal for that day. But in Kevin's mind, they cared more about things than him. Yeah. So they cared more about objects than life. For sure. Yeah. So we. we hope- so again, it doesn't make them necessarily bad. I don't think they get parent of the year either. No. But it does help to maybe 
distance yourself from the pain of losing your parents. For sure, for sure. And he, I guess if they did die when he was nine, then, I mean, he probably doesn't really remember them accurately or remember them, you know, well. You know, like I think he's, right. he's left with a few impressions and a couple of photographs and some, some, yeah. dim, some dim memories, so... And and probably the things that he remembers, much like the sense memory we talked about earlier this week, yeah. are the the strong images, the strong moments, the things that sure. really made more of an emotional impression rather than I can write this, you know, chronologically moment by moment what happened. It's more about images and kind of feelings, yeah. like what I felt at that time. So for the for the game show itself, though, we get uh, a shot of the old couple, I think, getting a question wrong while the audience laughs and the host does like a mock grimace saying like, oh, dear me, Beryl. And then there's another shot of the uh, <laughs> the parents watching the show. But the dad has on the exact same clothes as he did in minute three. So I think this is the same shot because she's got the same outfit on, too. And it's different than the clothes he was wearing at dinner. So these might just be his nighttime pajamas or something like that, but uh, I didn't I didn't notice that before that this is the the exact same. Oh yeah, you're right. That shirt at dinner, he's wearing a black shirt, and then here he's got his uh, blue windbreaker Adidas thing on. I think the meta answer is that they filmed this scene and then yeah. decided they wanted to edit it up a little bit differently. For sure, for sure. Because if you see, if you look at the uh, comic or whatever, it it just does the one thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. And then uh, the presenter is asking the old woman contestant, he's saying, uh, now all I want to know is what famous film star begins with C? You understand the question, my darling? And um, <laughs> suddenly we can see that the husband is on a hook spinning and dangling over this enormous vat of warm custard. And he clearly has one leg in a cast. So... <laughs> It's like <laughs> they've already survived one round. It just touches the edge of like, wait, what am I watching here? Like this, <laughs> you, you just yeah. start to like, is it, it was that a broken leg? Like it is, uh, he's old. If he goes in there head first, you know, like there's, you start to like put the puzzle. It's like, is this show literal? Is the title literal? Like, and I like that. Oh, speaking of which, can you name a movie star that starts with C? Cary Grant. Oh, good one. I had Carl Weathers. That was the first one. Car Carrie Fisher. Carrie Mulligan. There we go. <laughs> Carrie Elwes. <laughs> Carl Molden. Carl Molden. That's a K, I think, but yeah. Oh, it is a K. You're right. <laughs> yeah. Never mind. Bye, my bad. See? Kitty uh, just... Kitty Carlisle. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> is, I, do you get the sense that that's all she had to name was a movie star? It doesn't have to matter which one? <laughs> well, no. I think that the, the problem with this particular bit is that the question's kind of unanswerable because we just rattled off five or six so there's probably like right 80 stars that start with c and uh she has to name the quote-unquote correct one so her husband's doomed i think well and what are the rules of the game does she miss one and any goes or does she miss one and it starts lowering and then it's a speed round mm. he keeps asking and asking i think the first wrong question right. was the broken leg <laughs> so so let's go the, let's go the deep philosophy now of this scene if there's no way to get the right answer, you're doomed to lose by playing. Does that mean the minute you you go down this path of consumerism versus choosing life, you're going to be doomed to failure, doomed to death? Or that this is uh, televised execution, that the entertainment is dark. 
that it's dressed up as a game show, but no one will win. And I think I, I don't I don't I think that could be I don't know if we're at the running man quite we're yet. We're not at the here. running man quite yet, but I think he could be saying like what you're saying, that that is indeed these are the rewards of capitalism. Well, now wait a minute. We're we're acting like this is a bad ending for uh for Jumbo here, but the game is your money or your life. She gets she gets the money, right? Oh, uh, maybe. Maybe by uh, sacrificing her husband's soul, she uh, she wins the main prize. I don't know. She, oh, she can have fun man. in her in her brand new kitchen as a as a fresh widow. That's why she's hesitating. She's like, you know, <laughs> someone that starts with C, eh? Danny Elfman. Oh, I got it wrong. Oh, <laughs> oh that's a D. <laughs> this is what Close. I mainly wanted to talk to you guys about. What are the rules? Your money or your life? You, you've got a choice to make. Someone is hanging in the oh, balance. Someone's maybe, life is okay. hanging in the balance. She probably has the uh, option to give her life savings to save the life of her husband. Oh, that's horrible. Well, <laughs> if it comes, so if it comes to that, if, if it comes to that point, if she wins, if she wins, she gets a fresh kitchen. Uh, but if she uh, loses and her husband's uh, neck is on the chopping block, she does have the option to give all of her money to save uh, her husband's life. Or is it a, uh, a a funny double entendre, or not really a double entendre, but sort of a play on words. If you don't win the money, if you don't win the question, you lose someone's there life. There you go. Yeah. That's probably what it is, actually. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. But I still think, as far as a, a metaphor for everything that's going on in the life of this movie of his parents, it really does mean... When you choose things over living, yeah. then you pretty much have bypassed living. Yeah, for sure. That's not to say that's not to say you don't need things. I no. mean, I don't want to get so, you know, we're not Mother Teresa no. here, but it's when you put it as if it's that's the only thing worth living, yeah. then you've missed the point of life. Yeah, for sure. Well, for if sure. we're going down that, if we're going down that path, we're revisiting this later on when they when the dwarves are after the most fabulous object in the world, <laughs> which is a kitchen. Yeah. And overall, the parents died. They chose things over their life. Yeah. Once again, keep in mind, and I know this is way, way, way down the road, but they were stocking their own kitchen with as many cool gadgets as they thought that they would want to make the perfect life. That's right. Right. Uh, another thing that we see in this minute is that there are two showgirls as opposed to the one showgirl in minute three. So we were we were trying to decide if one of the showgirls was in fact the same actor that plays Kevin's mom. Well, and then that brings up another question: Is the other showgirl Shelley Duvall or uh, what's her name that plays the queen, Julie James, the the Greek queen? Oh, the Greek queen! Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. She would be she would be in the in the right you know body type. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything to she, be one of the girls on there. She could have been for sure the Mycenaean. Did you have any uh, favorite? Speaking of game shows, going meta with game shows. Uh, did you ever? Did you? I mean, did you ever see that movie Quiz Show? I saw the yeah. movie yeah. that it was based on, which was fantastic, but never saw the game show. No, no. Oh, sorry, no. The movie, yeah, the movie, Quaint, the movie Quiz Show was great. I, that's that's what I'm talking about. The movie Quiz Show was fantastic. But did you ever have any uh, yeah. favorite game shows growing up or anything like that? When I was a kid, especially if I had to stay home sick from school yeah. or something, there were always two I loved. The Price is Right, by far, loved The Price is uh -huh. Right. And still to this day, like I have fond memories of, re of, of trying to play along. Right. And the other one was the original, I say original, but for me, the Richard Dawson Family Feud. Yeah. 
Yeah, that one was a... And was I, a... I will tell you this, going back a little bit further, but I didn't get the jokes. I get them now when I go back and rewatch <laughs> old clips. But Hollywood Squares with Paul Lynn, oh, especially the center square. Paul Lynn, hilarious. I love that. Um, I also, and I didn't get a lot of the humor either, but for some reason, because everyone was laughing, I laughed along oh, yeah. with the newlywed game. Sure. My uh, my list, I've just got, I've got the two I can think of that I that I loved was Press Your Luck and Card Sharks with possibly Joker's Wild. Yeah, they were classic. <laughs> Joker, Joker, But Press Joker. Your Luck by far was number one. It had the little cartoon thing and it had the great sound effects for a kid. That's right. <laughs> right. Was no, no whammies. whammies. Yeah. No whammies. Is that press your luck? No, no whammy. No whammy. No whammy. Go. <laughs> One thing I like about this next shot here is we get a we get a reverse shot of the living room where we see mm-hmm. sort of where the camera. You know, we get the the other side where there there we get to see the television and the chairs and the the plastic wrapped furniture uh, and them looking away. We get to see the parents' backs, kind of thing, and that's cool because that's. That makes me think that maybe this is literally a room in a house. That maybe it wasn't just a, a set with the with the one wall missing. Maybe I'm wrong. Could have been. Could have been. I'm not sure. But but I like that the the decor here. We've got a somewhat modern uh, looking stereo for the time, and uh, I love the fiber optic sculpture on top of the television. That's very. that's very 1970s to me. That that sort of bouquet of fiber optics that the tips light up if you have a light source underneath them. That was a uh, very popular in the in the seventies. I remember those were those were kicking around in a lot of home decor because they were space age. But that was a that was a good one. Behind the wall where the parents can't see, uh, we see that Kevin is fully dressed in a windbreaker and he has a ton of stuff stuffed under his jacket there, like a bunch of books or something. And he quietly grabs a flashlight or torch, as they say, and tells his parents that uh, it's gone down now. And his dad's like, what? And Kevin says, my supper, it's gone down now. I can feel it. Can I go to bed now? And his dad says, yeah, all right, but no noise. And I don't know. I just think this is, this is, I've met a a few people in my life and, and they're just obsessed with digestion, you know, like, like it's never been like, I'm not allergic to anything. I can eat whatever, I've never had many digestive problems like ulcers or, or anything like that. So there's like this obsession with uh, with digestion is something that just sort of passed me by. But some people are like, they are just like, you have to be regular. Your life is out of order if you're not regular, you know, and you can't go swimming for exactly one hour after until after you eat. And this this whole thing about having an aperitif or a coffee to help <laughs> digest to aid digestion <laughs> you know like there's all this stuff around to like aid digestion and this seems to be in that family of like you got to wait to let your food go down you can't just get up and walk around right after dinner that's insanity <laughs> you know like so i just have you ever been aware of when your your food has gone down i mean not 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 as such <laughs> what do you got like a bell goes off i mean <laughs> Since then, off and on, I've said, you know, is my has my food gone down? I don't know what that means exactly. <laughs> you know, the only time I can come close to a concept of knowing my food's gone down is usually ah. right after Thanksgiving dinner when I knew I ate way too much yeah. and it hurts to stand up straight. Yeah, for sure. I'm like, okay, there's way too much. I have to wait for a minute. I can't even lie down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Now, you know, there's something we haven't even touched on. At least I don't think we have. I know I haven't. Have you noticed oh, yeah. the hermetically sealed couch and easy chair? Oh yeah, we we talked a little bit. It's a it's a through line through the entire movie. The plastic wrapped 
furniture and then in in his uh through all of it yeah that's right and i i guess he must have so had a, to, a what did you guys talk about in terms of what do you think that's symbolic of or what does that mean for, especially in light of this movie i know what it literally is right like this isn't something that right. he made up for the film this is something oh, yeah. that was yeah. a con- oh this no was this is for real yeah i know a lot of people they they wanted to keep their furniture pristine and so the idea was you put plastic over it so that way you could <laughs> use it without actually abusing it and it wouldn't wear the but in in of an, in and of itself doesn't that mean that these people are not in touch with what's real they're uh, they're, they're dealing sure. with the fake or the false sure. or they're 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 not in touch with the real fabric of the world They've got a hermetically sealed world. They're they're isolated from reality. They have a barrier for sure. I, I I totally agree with that. Also, that like ostensibly you take the plastic off for the queen or the very valued guests, you know, that come over. Right. You keep this plastic on until you know it, it, you know you want to get that that great guest that comes over, but that great guest never comes over, and you never take the plastic off. So you end up just the plastic is on twenty four seven, three sixty five for the duration of the time that you own the furniture, and that's a waste of the furniture. It's like yeah, it's preserved, but you can't touch it. You can't sort of actually use it. You can only sort of three quarters use it. You know, like. They don't enjoy the things they have, even though things are all they are trying to get. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Ostensibly, things are the most valuable things in their life, but they can't use them properly. Yeah. They should, you know, it's too late in the timeline, but they should have watched Toy Story (laughs) 2. Toys are meant to be played with, not kept in their plastic wrapping. That's right. This this is a brand new couch, new mint in box, still on the blister card. <laughs> mint in the box, never been sat never on. Been sat on. Ooh, <laughs> collector's couch. But I do think all of this does sort of psychologically and maybe very you know slyly, if you're not really paying attention, it is all adding to the idea that his parents are very materialistic, yeah. very focused on the gadgets, keeping up with appearances, keeping up with the Joneses, and. Everyone I've ever known that lives that way always gets to a point where they go, I'm not even living. Right. I just yeah. I, I go to work just to buy stuff so I can look like I know that I've got stuff. I'm not even happy. Yeah. Like I'm not happy uh, at uh, all. This this scene here swings the needle in uh, Duncan's direction towards making these people bad people. In a way, yeah. This well, see, I don't think they're bad. I just think they're a product of the day. Yeah, he's, it's more like it's more of a critique on society than his actual parents, right? Like I think his parents are caught up in what's happening, and the what's happening maybe isn't that great. You know, they've they've gone a hundred and ten percent into, you know, what they've been told they're supposed to, and also what they've been told the key to the key to happiness is. And I think this crushingly boring, soulless life is something that they're like, well, I guess this is happiness. I know, right? And you know, if this is supposed to be happiness, look at their faces. They're not like they're just they're not they're not even laughing at the TV. No, really, they're the just thing. staring. They're not even laughing at the TV. If they were at least laughing at the jokes, you could see they were getting some enjoyment somewhere. But yeah, that's a very good point. They're just staring blankly as the laugh track goes off. Reading their catalogs. Reading their catalogs. In the uh, if you want to talk a little bit about the differences between the uh, script and the comic and the novel, we can get into that a little bit if you want. Let's go for it. Okay. Uh, in the script, they've got some photographs, some set photographs, and there's a photograph uh, in the copy that I have anyway. There's a copy. There's a photograph of the old man uh, 
trying to lift what looks like some very very heavy weights on a barbell for the for the crowd and and failing he's like straining to pick up this barbell so i think him failing to do that is what caused him to get his broken leg and is why he's now dangling and also the um the host specifies that the celebrity that begins with a c is a woman and uh beryl guesses caruso and is incorrect i don't know who caruso is but for the comic, it's still mostly just the pattern in the game. So in the game show, the host specifies, literally specifies that the winner will get a full fitted luxury automatic made to measure kitchen and that the loser will get a soggy death by drowning in a giant bowl of warm custard. Isn't that a scream? <laughs> he says, and I'm glad they left that to, uh, to a show instead of tell situation. Cause I love that, you know, it's sort of like on you to be like, uh, that would kill him, <laughs> you know, like, is his leg broken? I like that that that's sort of on the viewer to to realize. I like that. I think that's more impactful. Oh, and then we it, we miss the whole you must eat your food first and then wait for it to go down gag in the comic. Yeah, that's right. Which is a shame. I like that very much. In the in the novel it's pretty much exactly like in the movie except that the malfunctioning carvery is throwing chunks of meat across and around the room. So I think I would have liked to have seen that in the film. That's, that would be a good a good visual gag, but you can't really do uh, too many takes of that, I think. You kind of got to get that. <laughs> well, if you wanted to go deep into the British humor, you would do a close-up on Dad getting a, a slab of meat slung in his face and stuck over his eye. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, yakety sax plays. Yeah, well, yakety sax plays. That's the two, <laughs> the two streams, the twin streams of British comedy. You got Monty Python and yakety sax. <laughs> Oh, the TV here too. The the little close up of the TV has got that mahogany mahogany television finish. I like that kind of. We were talking about that the other day at my house. All all uh, appliances had to be in that wood, in that neutral wood color, so that they would match everything else in your house. Yeah, and even cars, right? The old cars had the big wood paneling sides and stuff. There was this obsession with like everything has to be made of wood, you know, otherwise it's threatening, I guess, or something. I don't know. Well, I just think it's a product of the right. concept that right. everything had to be furniture. Sure, sure, well, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We are missing a lot of we are missing a lot of shelf space now that TVs aren't that anymore in stereos. Mm-hmm. No, now all my speakers are the shelves. Oh, I've uh, <laughs> I saw a bunch of people that are turning old TVs into uh, places to sleep oh, for no. their cats. So they've they've really? taken out the picture tube and all the guts of the TV, but they've put a little. Uh, quilted, uh, recessed little, you know, princess's bedroom uh, thing inside where the where the TV screen was, and so the cat can just jump up in there and go to bed. So it looks like there's a. I think it's fantastic. <laughs> I want one of those now. I think it's lovely. It's great, and they love it, right? Because cats, like cats in boxes, are like, oh boy, let me in there. So well, Alan, thank you so much for joining us this week. It has been an incredible conversation. I mean. Literally, well, it's, been a, it's, it's a changed pleasure. the course of the show. I'm not kidding. No, you've brought so much to the table here. It's it's uh, it's been amazing. Well, I appreciate you guys having me on and uh, and endeavoring to let me uh, have some uh, some of my ideas out there and see where it goes. I mean, they may all fall, <clears throat> they may all fall apart somewhere down the road, but that's always how I've kind of looked at the movie as an adult. I still, as a child, remember fondly what it was like to sit in the theater. And just be mesmerized by this magical world that unfolded before my eyes. I felt like the character of Kevin. I felt like 
in the theater, I was watching something magical take place. And I think that's part of the charm of why the movie still survives, because it is in some way a fable. It is some way uh, a fairy tale. It's just a more, it's a creative, different take on the fairy tale. Mm -hmm. It would be interesting to have a guest on who's 10 and have them watch it for the first time and see how they feel. Jeez, that's a wonderful idea. You know, and just for the fun of it, I'm going to probably do this with my girls. And I don't think a single one of my daughters has ever seen this movie, not that I can remember. Mm-hmm. And I've got four girls, all of them, I could say, let's just all watch this or and then see how they each respond. Yeah, or see how long they last. <laughs> how long right? they last like, is more accurate. <laughs> kids, these day, kids these days. As I've seen, I showed, uh, I remember I showed my daughter Tron and about halfway through she's like are there any more girl characters in this you know and i'm like mm, no there isn't sorry <laughs> kevin's enough of an archetype of just plain old kid that i think maybe it's accessible for everybody I think that's but an experiment we need I to could do be wrong most of the super fan most yeah most of the super fans of this film that i've met have been uh yeah. pretty much mostly dudes <laughs> yeah. if not all dudes so who knows? so uh what are you uh what are you up to after you get done with this alan well, I have our main podcast, me and my buddy Walt, who you already heard earlier in this very show that you're tuned into, talking about Time Bandits one minute at a time. Uh, Walt Murray and I have a show called The Wilder Ride, where we break down a Gene Wilder movie in a very similar fashion. And last year, we added a component to it where we called it our Listener's Lounge, where we get to invite a guest on and kind of a talk about nostalgia and throwing back to a, a, a kinder, simpler time. We we created sort of a, a Johnny Carson-esque night show where folks come on and we just talk to them and learn a little bit more about them. And then we play a couple of things along the way. And we always wrap up with what are you watching, what are you reading, and what are you listening to? And gives us a chance to kind of plug other podcasts or shows or music or albums or whatever. And kind of fun. So we're going to continue that here in our season four. We're just getting uh, underway for this 2021 year, depending on when you're listening to this. And the wife and I just started a sidecast on our own called the Marriage Fit Podcast, which is a something completely different. It's not in the world of culture and entertainment, but we make touch those things because it's about well, living and being married and dealing with how do you fit things together and how do you not throw a fit and how do you stay fit and mentally fit and go through all the gymnastics of how to make things work. And so we decided to start a show and who knows, it may last a year, it may last 10, I, Right now, we're having a blast just having a chance to sit down and talk and, I don't know, just maybe uh, pass along some of the things we've learned as 50-somethings now, having our kids out of the house and first-time empty nesters. I can't wait to see that. There you go. Nice. All right. Thanks for having me. Seriously, this has been a blast. And uh, for those folks maybe discovering this movie for the first time, uh, stick with this because you're going to get some great analysis and it is just just an awesome movie to watch. The Time Bandits Minute is a fan project hosted by Curtis Blaze and Duncan Shields. The movie, Time Bandits, was created by Terry Gilliam and Michael Palin and is presented by Handmade Films. The novel Time Bandits was written by Charles Alverson and is based on a screenplay by Michael Palin and Terry Gilliam. It is published by Severn House Publishing. The comic book adaptation, Time Bandits, was created by the team at Marvel Comics and published by Stan Lee. The screenplay, Time Bandits Movie Script, was written by Terry Gilliam and Michael Palin. It was published by Doubleday Dolphin Books. You can find more of us at timebanditsminute.com or text us at 712-830-7373. 
You can also find us on Facebook at Time Bandits Minute, the podcast. Thank you to the Star Wars Minute guys for graciously allowing us to steal the format. If you would like to listen to other Movies by Minutes podcasts, check out MoviesByMinutes.com. Join us for Minute 7, where you'll hear the game show hosts say... Oh, dear. Oh, well. That's your money on your life. <laughs>